Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. I'm Aaron Katursky. And Aaron, it is a historic day, the first time in a couple of decades that we have public impeachment hearings. The House Intelligence Committee is still in the midst of that. We should note in full disclosure, we're about halfway through what's expected to be a very long day and only a first day of what will be many, many days of public hearings around impeachment. Finally, seeing out in front of the cameras the case that Democrats are trying to make to impeach President Trump. And right away, Rick, the battle lines became clear. Democrats tried in rather somber tones to explain that this is not where they wanted to be, but but where circumstances had brought them and that they were concerned President Trump's conduct amounted to an impeachable offense, at least of, of abuse of power, maybe obstruction of justice, maybe bribery. And they laid out uh, the, the case with two diplomats, one in a light gray suit and a bow tie, and the other in in sort of State Department monotone. <laughs> so if you were expecting fireworks, it didn't come from the appearances, but there was some substance there. Yeah, and these were career diplomats, public servants, uh, actual active members of the Trump administration in one of the stranger twists. You have uh, in, in in Bill Taylor, the, the acting ambassador to Ukraine, and in George Kent, the deputy assistant secretary of state for European and Eurasian affairs. And, and the two of them laid out in, in pretty uh, minute detail the the portrait that they felt was painted for them by President Trump and his actions uh, and the alarms that that caused throughout. And Aaron, I still am struck by how little information has has accrued in the opposite direction of the timeline of the facts that were laid out in the phone call that we know so much about and in the testimony of these various officials. Other than the assertion that it was a, a perfect phone call from the president himself, all of the, the testimony, and both publicly and privately, has been that this was really weird, to use a, a phrase that, that Bill Taylor used during his testimony. He had become concerned that there was this irregular channel of American policymaking that ran at odds with the traditional diplomacy. And, and he laid out the, this case that he said he had never seen before, American aid and a, a meeting with President Trump were conditioned upon the investigations of Joe and Hunter Biden and about this debunked conspiracy theory regarding the origin of the Russia investigation. And he said that that uh, to him was something that in his 50 years of service to the country, he, he had never before witnessed. So, Aaron, I think the way we'll structure the, the show today is let's lay out the case that the Democrats ha- have made, and then we'll take a break. And when we come back from that break, we will we will talk about the Republican defense here. So, let's start again with the Democrats. As you mentioned, they have the two witnesses. They control because they, they control the House of Representatives. They control the witness list. They control the rules. You have a lot of Republicans complaining about the rules. But bottom line is, the Democrats tried to make this big. Uh, they tried to uh, link this to the president directly and to make this about weighty and and critical matters of foreign policy. Uh, Take a listen to uh, Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, talking about how the president's conduct has vast implications. Our answer to these questions will affect not only the future of this presidency, but the future of the presidency itself, and what kind of conduct or misconduct the American people may come to expect from their commander in chief. And and Aaron, one thing I'm struck 
by in this is it's something I've heard from many Democrats. What made this different than even the Mueller report or many other things that might one might argue are impeachable offenses, that this has implications on how this president does business over the next year before the election and about the contours of what any president could potentially do. Those are the kind of stakes that you're hearing from Democrats. And frankly, we heard this from Bill Taylor's testimony, the, the stakes for American foreign policy and, and in particular for Ukraine, which he took great pains to to discuss about the history of Ukraine, uh, the aggression from Russia, and, and almost as if trying to convince Republicans and remind them that, hey, guys, we have a common enemy here, and it's the Russians, trying to say that this security aid was, was vital to combating our, our old Cold War enemy. That's right. And this security aid uh, approved by Congress. This wasn't some discretion, uh, discretionary fund that the president could or could not release. It was required under a, a big bipartisan vote to put that money out there. It was described by many Republicans even as absolutely critical to Ukraine's survival. And that's certainly how both of the men that we heard from today cast this. This was money that the Ukrainians needed very desperately. Uh, they were facing an existential threat from the Russians. And more Republicans than Democrats uh, voted for that 400 million dollars initially. At the time, none of them had expressed any interest in having any strings attached to this money. And and, and Bill Taylor uh, made that clear, that this money was of the utmost importance. And Bill Taylor, uh, as he recounted today, started to get the impression uh, directly and and indirectly over a series of many conversations that uh, there was a big condition being placed on this money. And, And he talked about that now pretty famous text message he, that he sent uh, to a couple of, uh, of colleagues inside the Trump administration uh, talking about uh, how, what he thought it meant to have, uh, have money being withheld for, uh, a political, for a political reason. I wrote that withholding security assistance in exchange for help with a domestic political campaign in the United States would be crazy. I believed that then and I believe it now. Crazy is the, the the word that he used. And, of course, he did believe that that's exactly what was happening here. He believed that the money was being withheld for uh, for a, a political purpose. Uh, he'd never seen it before. Uh, and a lot of it was linked in with what he learned to be the efforts by Rudy Giuliani and some other Trump associates to set up that, that rather irregular channel. He had also testified that, that he heard from the ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, that there was no quid pro quo, but then interpreted what Sondland was telling him, that there was going to be a stalemate if, in fact, the Ukrainians did not follow through with investigations that the president wanted. And, and he interpreted that stalemate as exactly a, a quid pro quo. And new information today, you know, we in the news business cover news, Aaron, and we like when new information uh, come, comes about. And, and I want to talk about this in the context of what it means uh, for the investigation and also what it means for the timeline and everything. But this is uh, this was the, 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 the new nugget, the new tidbit that, uh, that Ambassador Taylor uh, brought with him, recounting some information that he learned even since he talked behind closed doors to the same House Intelligence Committee. Last Friday, a member of my staff told me of events that occurred on July 26th. While Ambassador Volker and, I, Volker and I visited the front, this member of my staff accompanied Ambassador Sondland. Ambassador Sondland met with Mr. Yerbach. Following that meeting, in the presence of my staff, at a restaurant, Ambassador Sondland called President Trump and told him of his meetings in Kiev. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. 
Following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. So the significance here, Aaron, is now you have uh, secondhand or thirdhand recounting because you have an, an aide in the middle, but you have President Trump's voice on the other line saying that uh, that these investigations were critical, that they had to move forward, conditioning, again, it seemed, that the, these these investigations uh, provided a, a condition on what the Ukrainians wanted. And you have Ambassador Sondland telling this unnamed staffer, though we think we are starting to figure out who it might be, but telling this unnamed staffer that the president was more interested in the Bidens when asked, hey, what does he think about Ukraine? And, and, and that seems to belie one of the the Republican counter narratives that the president was somehow interested in corruption going on in Ukraine, had a real legitimate interest in in withholding this security aid to protect taxpayers from a potentially corrupt nation. Uh, here, Ambassador Sondland says, "Yeah, he just cares about the Bidens." Yeah, and and the Bidens uh, were, came up a couple of times in the t- in the testimony so far. Uh, we know that uh, the efforts by Republicans to call Hunter Biden are being rebuffed. They view that as a sideshow. There's no evidence that Hunter Biden did anything uh, inappropriate in his role uh, working for the energy company, the Ukrainian energy company, Burisma. Uh, the vice president's role in all of this has been probed pretty thoroughly. Uh, the Democrats are not going to go there uh, under under their leadership in this committee. Uh, but the president continues to be interested in that. He looks to that as uh, as key. And, and as we'll hear from Republicans in a moment, they, they view that as a legitimate area of inquiry. I do want to talk about the the politics of of all of this, Aaron, because this is an an odd kind of circumstance to my mind where uh, so much came out early in this storyline. We had within days of the original reporting the the official White House readout, what the president calls a transcript but isn't actually a a full transcript. We had all that information on the public record. All of the details that most of the details we heard of today came out already through uh, various reporting about the private testimony and then the transcripts. And uh, this is an effort now to engage the public in a storyline that's pretty well known. It's going to be difficult. And I think you saw this today, Aaron. It's going to be difficult for Democrats to keep some passions going around this to get people to engage in sufficient numbers. Boy, especially if all of the hearings are as long as this one is proving to be, because uh, and and the Republicans started to hint about this. You know, Bill Taylor is your star witness, and and it was you know the facts were interesting, but but uh, on the whole, as a presentation, uh, I'm not sure that holds an, an audience's interest. And and yet, this is the process and the chance for the American public to kind of judge what they've only heard about from the mouths of politicians. And and unlike what happened with Nixon and, and Watergate and and Clinton later on, they didn't have the benefit of any investigative body of work uh, on which to base their their judgment we we had uh, special prosecutors appointed before the 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 political process got underway that's not the case here this is all kind of unfolding in real time with the potential for new information to come in each hearing and now we're going to hear in the next couple of weeks uh, over that period of time from 11 witnesses 
all of whom appear, at least on the surface, to be telling the same story. That's right, and th- that story not in not in serious dispute. Uh, I want to I want to showcase just a little bit of what uh, the Democratic lawyer uh, for the for the committee, Dan Goldman, elicited from Ambassador Taylor, because I think this is important in putting all of this in context. That you had these career diplomats who were taking a lot of information from a lot of different places, and the phrase "quid pro quo" keeps coming up. And uh, listen to how uh, Ambassador Taylor handled this question. And so even though President Trump was saying repeatedly that there is, there is no quid pro quo, Ambassador Sondland relayed to you that the facts of the matter were that the White House meeting and the security assistance were conditioned on the announcement of these investigations. Is that your understanding? That's my understanding. So sticking to just the, the bare facts there, uh, when, 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 when you have a quid pro quo, I don't know of any instance in, in criminal history where someone says, hey, the following is a quid pro quo. Key here, and, and you heard it in Senator Ron Johnson's denials around this as well, is the, well, the president said there wasn't a quid pro quo, so there couldn't have been a quid pro quo. But that's not how it works. And there's, there's nuance in that. It's a difficult – It's what, one reason it's a difficult case to make is that there's seldom – and in this case, there isn't likely to be an absolute paper trail that says if this doesn't happen, then this will happen or won't happen. That's not how it works. So you, you, you kind of rely on the professionals to, to give a judgment, and there's always going to be room for interpretation there. And I, look, if it looks like a duck and, and, and acts like a duck, it, it's really hard to, to say no quid pro quo because the boss says it isn't, and yet there's this stalemate if these investigations don't come through. And then the, the revelation that the, the president is asking immediately uh, Sondland about these investigations. I mean, there it isn't in dispute that the these investigations were important to the president and that the money at the same time was being withheld. Those two things are are two difficult facts to to for, for Republicans to deal with. They can say it's not a big deal. I mean, they're really only two defenses, right? Either that you know the, the witnesses are lying and nobody really seemed to impeach the credibility of, of of Taylor or Kent, or that it just doesn't matter. That's exactly right. We're going to dive into those defenses in a moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's how the Republicans are handling this, what the pushback, what the defense of Donald Trump looks like. And welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Joining joining me today, Aaron Katursky, ABC News correspondent and anchor of ABC News Radio. And Aaron, let's get into where the Republicans stand on this, because we know they're they're offering a spirited, uh, pretty firm defense. And one of the defenses you hear from them is... Uh, this process has been cooked up by Democrats who've wanted to get President Trump for a really long time. And this is uh, uh, Devin Nunes, the ranking Republican member on the Intelligence Committee, making the point that a lot of the folks who are trying to impeach the president have been trying to impeach the president from long before they heard about this Ukraine call. In the blink of an eye, we're asked to simply forget about Democrats on this committee, falsely claiming they had more than circumstantial evidence of collusion between President Trump and Russians. And that's a not at all veiled shot at Chairman Schiff, who was very much uh, uh, entertaining the potential of impeachment throughout the Mueller report, throughout the Mueller investigation. Uh, It did seem like when the Mueller report dropped that impeachment went away for a while. And it did come back uh, with a vengeance when this Ukraine call surfaced? Uh, the, the whole tone was was different, right? Where Adam Schiff came out and his first words were, 
you know, we're here for this somber occasion. Devin Nunes comes out and says, we're here for a show trial. And and, and he accused Democrats uh, of just sort of the latest episode in their ongoing effort to get rid of, of, of President Trump. And so, in a sense, the, one Republican strategy is just to dismiss this whole thing outright as, as nonsense. Uh, and yet, they put up a much more fervent defense than, than that. Yes. And, and a piece of the defense is that uh, the, the testimony you've heard so far does relay second or third hand information that, uh, that um, the, the ambassadors that we've heard from throughout this are unable to say the president told me directly, get this done or else. Uh, Sondland is the closest to that, and and he's denying that there was a direct quid pro quo. Ambassador Taylor, uh, look, he, he had to admit under questioning that he never got a, a firm directive, that he never was told by Rudy Giuliani or President Trump or anyone around him that this was the only thing he had to do. And when he was meeting with President Zelensky, he wasn't communicating that directly. So there's a there's a there's a missing link that I think the Democrats have gone, gone pretty far to try to establish here of the president saying do this or else. And, 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 and if this were a criminal trial, I think the admissibility of hearsay evidence and, and whether this uh, case could, could adequately be made may actually be a question. But this, of course, has a different standard. And there is a, you know, this is a, a political trial in a sense or a political uh, case to make for, for Democrats. And it, it, it seemed fairly simple, at least at the outset, Rick. They have the call, the, the, the transcript or whatever it is of the call. And it seems to every witness that's testified pretty clear that there there's something here. And, and the Democrats tried to say that these were peripheral characters, that their testimony uh, was not firsthand. Uh, and yet it's the, 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 the president who will not allow firsthand witnesses yeah. to actually come and, and testify. So it, it is a... It, that also makes it a tough case, I think, for, for Republicans to, to make with believability. We These guys are secondhand witnesses. OK, so give us the firsthand witnesses. Well, we can't. Yeah, and that, and that, is, a, that is a really strong point, I think, and that uh, clearly there's ways to rebut some of the details here if the president's account is, is to be believed uh, and that, th- that testimony is not being made readily available. So you're left with some of the second and third hand uh, pieces of it. You mentioned a, a moment ago, Aaron, how most of the Republicans are not looking to impugn the credibility, the motivations of the individuals who are coming forward. And it is so strange to have what the Democrats would might consider their star witnesses be current members of the Trump administration. These are people that work for the Trump State Department and, and are trying Trying to enact the Trump foreign policy every day that they go to work. Um, Ambassador Taylor was just in Ukraine last week uh, speaking to folks and, and continuing to spread that word, even as this plays out back home. I, I, this is maybe as close as anyone came. This is, again, uh, Ranking Member Nunes uh, talking about uh, Americans that he views as losing faith in, the, in, in their government. By undermining the president, who they are supposed to be serving, the elements of the FBI, the Department of Justice, and now the State Department have lost the confidence of millions of Americans who believe that their vote should count for something. And the argument, Aaron, goes something like this. The president's the president. He was elected. He gets to enact foreign policy. He gets to choose how his foreign policy is enacted. He gets to choose who his ambassadors are. He gets to put people in posts who go do what he thinks should be done. And the implication is that there are lots of people in this government, 
call them deep state, if you might, as as some people would, uh, who don't think that those are good ideas. And that when they stand up and say, I'm concerned about the president's conduct, it's that they think their ideas are better than the president's. And yet the, the, the Republican defense cannot be that the president's feelings have been hurt by, <laughs> by those in his own government. Yes, they work at the pleasure of the president. No one argues that, but they are not beholden. They, they are um, in, in many ways beholden to, to the values of the country. And if that puts them at odds with the president, he can remove them, which he has not yet done with Bill Taylor or George Kent. That's a great point. Uh, and I, I do think this sentiment that, uh, that Devin Nunes closed his, his, uh, his round of uh, his initial round with, it, this says a lot to me, Aaron, because uh, th- there's, if, you're going to, if you're going to buy the notion that the president was engaged in a version of foreign policy that he thought to be the best and that this wasn't some political dirty trick or a quid pro quo or outright bribery or any other impeachable offense. Uh, This is what you have to believe, I think. Take a listen to this. I just want to be clear that some government officials opposed President Trump's approach to Ukraine, but many had no idea what concerned him. In this case, it was numerous indications of Ukrainian Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election to oppose his campaign and support Hillary Clinton. Once you know that, it's easy to understand the president's desire to get to the bottom of this corruption and to discover exactly what happened in the 2016 election. We should be clear, Aaron, that there is no evidence. In fact, there are lots. There's lots of debunking that's gone on, even inside the Trump administration itself, uh, of the notion that the Ukrainians were involved in any way in the 2016 uh, election interference, uh, and that, of course, doesn't explain the interest in Joe Biden and the 2020 campaign either. But but that's just it. And and I, I it's funny because as uh, just before uh, Mr. Nunes had this to say, I, I was texting with a former Trump campaign aide who was saying, look, this is actually playing out rather perfectly for President Trump because these two career diplomats are making about foreign policy. And if this is all about foreign policy, then guess what? There's one president at a time. He gets to make foreign policy. And just because someone like 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 Kent or Taylor – thinks that they have a better idea just because they have more credentials and they serve for longer or they they serve with valor and all these posts. That doesn't allow them to undermine the foreign policy of the president of the United States. It also works in 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 his favor in another way, too, Rick. And it, you know better than anybody that the polls, I think, consistently show Americans don't have as much interest in foreign policy or in Ukraine policy in particular. And so, you know, maybe they give the president a pass. All right. He had concerns. OK, it's corrupt. All right. Protect my my taxpayer dollars from from all of this. Of course, you know, the, again, in any evidence, and, and when this money was passed by Congress, no Republican who voted for it said, well, they have to investigate the Bidens. Right. First. There was no conditions put on it around right. around uh, around corruption or the Bidens or any or or, or the twenty sixteen election or anything like that. There, the, another enlightening moment that I think again, if you're for Trump supporters, explains Trump is that this is a president is just so radically different than any president who's come before him. And when you talk about the uh, the irregular channels that were set up, that there might be explanations for that. This is a president that does business in ways that others uh, others don't. This was a, a bit of an amusing exchange uh, with the Republican lawyer for the Intelligence Committee, Steve Castor, uh, t- talking again to Ambassador Taylor. And, and in fairness, this, this irregular channel of diplomacy 
Um, it's not as outlandish as it could be. Is that correct? It's not as outlandish as it could be. Yeah, I, I agree. Irregular, but maybe not as outlandish as it could be. I, I'm struck by how much is in that phrase for not just not just a lawyer on a, on a committee, but a lot of Republicans in Washington who are pretty uncomfortable with a lot of the things the president has said and done. But they come back to, you know what? Yeah, he's a different guy. But it's not as crazy. It's not as outlandish as it could be. And and the, the, and that just doesn't work for for Democrats. You look at what Adam Schiff said at the outset. This this inquiry is going to test the limits of presidential conduct that the American people should come to expect. And and for Democrats, they've hit that limit. Uh, maybe it isn't outlandish, but it's impeachable for them. And and for Republicans, meh, maybe not. Maybe not. And uh, look, this is the beginning of the story, uh, Aaron. I think it's it's very likely that um, you know when the history of uh, this impeachment inquiry is written, it's it really is likely to begin with the moments that come out of these hearings. Uh, we know so much about this. Uh, we have so much information already, but it, we know that without public support. This is not going to happen. Uh, the, the Democrats have been clear on that, that they're not doing this as some intellectual exercise. They're looking to educate. They're looking to bring along the public. And on today's facts, uh, and I, I don't see how today really changes those facts, uh, to be honest, as the as testimony continues. But on today's facts, we know that he's likely to be impeached in the House, acquitted in the Senate. They're not going to find 20 Republicans to cross over on today's facts. But today's facts are not tomorrow's facts. And, and the way this is actually consumed, the way this is all understood, I think, is going to be a fascinating case study in democracy. Even if the facts don't change, the, the, the inference here from, from, I think, both sides is the public has to engage. Yeah. You have to start weighing what it is that we're, we're giving you. And look, I mean, it's only happened three times before right. where, where the country has been at the brink like this. Uh, so it's worth the American people's time getting involved to, to see what it's all about, even if you know, on on the face, they they seem to have made up their mind. And I I just I know in talking to enough staffers for Republican senators, they they can say they're not watching, they're not paying attention, but they're paying it. Att- of course, they're paying attention. Of course, they're dialed into this. It doesn't mean that they are quote unquote swing votes or that their votes are even up for grabs. People are going to pay attention to this. Certainly, it's going to be the big story in Washington. Uh, it's blotting out the, the the rest of the Democratic race right now. It's sort of frozen in place around all of this as the potential to consume weeks or months of, uh, of, of valuable campaign time. And this is going to be the big thing. This is going to be the big thing that Washington uh, is focused on for the foreseeable future. Uh, and it, it continues to, to roil just about just about everyone in politics. I, I still wonder what all these senators running for president are going to do, assuming it gets out of the House and, and goes to the Senate. Is Elizabeth Warren going to come off the campaign trail to sit in judgment of, of President Trump? It's going to be a game of chicken, in my estimation. They're all going to do it until one of them starts not doing it. And there's because there's so many senators running. And uh, I think they're going to feel like this is a solemn obligation, the solemn duty. Um, but weirdly, not a time to shine. One of the little known facts around this, um, Aaron, I know you know because you're such a student of history. The senators, when they're there, they're, they're behind their desks. They don't get to talk. They don't get to say anything. They are the jury. They are silent and everything plays out around them. Man, does that stink if you're a senator, period, and does it really stink if you're a senator running for president? Isn't that the moment of history, a silent senator? That's exactly right. All right. 
That does it for this special edition of Powerhouse Politics. Thank you, Aaron Katursky. Thank you for having me. Being with us. Uh, and thank you to Susie Liu for filling in for Trevor Hastings. Uh, uh, also, um, our thanks to Angie Yak and Avery Miller and the whole gang at Powerhouse Politics. We'll see you next time.